Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. I'm going to just share with you, um, and first question I have is, who here struggles to keep secrets when they have something really cool that they've learned about or someone's told them? If you're like me, please just... Please, I'm like, Lord, it's so bad. You know, if, if something cool happens and I know about it and I got that information, I struggle, you know what I mean? Please don't tell anyone. No, I won't. And don't worry, I'm not talking about private issues. I'm talking about something exciting like someone got a promotion or like whatever it might be and then I like try and hold it in. You need... Now, there was a moment in Scripture documented in the pages of history where I'm pretty sure Mary and a few other women felt that very same way except what they knew was not something to be hidden but to tell people And we read about this in Luke chapter 24, verse 6. So Mary and uh, Joanna and a few other women are going down to the tomb of Jesus in which his body has been placed. And they are going to go and take spices and then they're going to uh, work on his body as part of the ritual of burial during the period. And they go with all the stuff they need and they walk in and then there are two angels there saying, why are you here? And in Luke 24, the angels say to these women, Jesus isn't here, he is risen from the dead. He is risen. And so these women have this information now. Oh my word. Oh, this is so cool. You know, like they get on their phones quickly and they're doing a little gram, like a photo next to the team like this, you know, and they're posting it. He's not here. He's risen. Hashtag resurrection life, yo, you know. And so they have this information now and they then rush back to the disciples, the 11 disciples to tell them this good news. It's like they can't keep it. They got to tell them straight away. And we read about the response of the disciples. Imagine hearing that. You've been trusting, believing, waiting for God to do this thing where he's been telling you on the third day, I'll rise again and I will defeat the enemy and stand over the governors of Rome. And these Jewish disciples are all believing this and they're going, yes, they've been waiting. And then they see the cross on Friday and they watch the persecution and they watch the mockery and they watch him die. And they're not sure anymore about this God that was supposed to defeat the great governors and sit on the throne and they would be in the kingdom of the Lord. And so they're like a bit confused. And here comes Mary with the good news, rushing to them to say, Jesus is risen. He's not in the tomb. And this is their response documented in the words of Luke chapter 24, verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. It's like they trusted God was going to defeat death, and they would see it now, and, and, and on the third day, they would already be standing in their victory, and so when, when Mary comes rushing to give them the good news, it sounds like nonsense, and they could not believe it. Can't be true. Did you see what happened on Friday? Like, clearly, Jesus didn't defeat death. It can't be true. Now, they failed to believe Jesus was alive because the story didn't make sense in their human understanding. And it wasn't only these disciples who felt this way about the whole situation. There were two followers of Jesus at the same time that were on their way to a a town called Emmaus. Uh, and, And on that day, Jesus suddenly appeared to them, resurrected now, and he's walking alongside them, but they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And then he says to them, how's it? And they're like, how's it? And then he's like, what are you guys discussing? 
funny, Lord. We know, but they didn't. And, and then in Luke chapter 24, verse 18 to 21, we read their response. It says, then one of them, in response to the question from Jesus, Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened over the last few days. <laughs> He's talking to Jesus. Don't we do that with God all the time? Well, Lord, let me tell you, there are a few things I think you don't know about in my personal life. You know, let me tell you about issues. I mean, you don't even know. Let me help you learn, Lord. And that's when we get into those situations where our plans don't work out. We blame God and assume he didn't do what he said he would promise. It's just, it's just we, we, we're so far disconnected from the sovereignty of the creator of the universe that we, we often engage with God like this. We don't know it's him, and then we tell him what he doesn't know. So he goes, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Oh, well, Lord, I knew you wouldn't know. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God, and all the people, but, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. These men, like the disciples, had believed that the death Jesus was supposed to defeat was the very death that he was condemned to in the end. And they crucified him. And then he says this, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. We had hoped Jesus is resurrected and the power of the resurrection exists today. But how often do we have the response in our personal lives with the phrase, we had hoped? These men were saying, we had hoped everything would have worked out differently. They were saying we had hoped that he wouldn't have died because we thought he was going to defeat death. We had hoped that he was who he said he was. We had hoped that he would have saved us. But in the end, it seemed to end with a tomb of death instead of a testimony of deliverance. This is what they were saying. This is how the disciples felt. Any news of Jesus being alive was nonsense. They had seen how the story had ended, so it was obvious. It was confirmed by Jesus' death and a body in a tomb, and the victory they had hoped for seemed lost. I want to ask you right now, how many hopeful moments have ended in disappointment during this season in your personal life? How many moments do you have in which you say, we had hoped there wouldn't be a second wave? We had hoped that the new job interview would have come through. We had hoped that we wouldn't lose the business. What in your personal life have you hoped for that didn't seem to end well, leaving you with feelings of defeat, doubt, and discouragement? Just like these men who had said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Now, of course, we look at this picture in retrospect because God's always clear in retrospect. How frustrating is that? And the crazy thing is that these two men were hoping for something different to have happened concerning the death of Jesus while they were in the very presence of someone who had already overcome its power. 
these two men were hoping for something different to have happened concerning the death of Jesus while they were in fact in the presence of the someone who had already overcome it. And this is why Jesus had said earlier in the same gospel of John chapter 16, in, in the gospel of John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What was happening right there for those two men? There was trouble. Didn't you see what happened over the last three days? The Jesus we had trusted suddenly like was killed and we watched his body actually die, which we thought wasn't supposed to. We had hope. That was their trial. Their, their difficulty in life right now was on, on a disappointment from something they had hope for. And then Jesus says, but take because I've overcome. They were living out that very scripture in that moment because they had hoped for something different to happen around the death of Jesus while in the presence of someone who had already overcome it. So regardless of what their story looked like in the end, they still were not living in defeat. Jesus is telling us when he speaks from John 16, that some things aren't nice in our lives, and there are some things that we will experience in this humanity which aren't good, but that in the midst of that truth, there is someone who has already overcome these things, so we can take heart. This is what I believe God wants us to hear today. When you look at that experience with those two men in the presence of someone while they had hoped for something, when you reflect on the words of Jesus in John 16, 33, that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've, I've overcome already. I believe God wants us to hear this. Who I am is greater than what you're going through. That's what Jesus is saying. In this world you'll have trouble, don't worry, I've, I've overcome. For those two men right there, well, we had hoped it would have worked out, we've got trouble now, you know, it didn't work out all the way, we've got to figure things out. And he's going, no, my child, don't worry about focusing on something when there's someone that's overcome your something is already in your presence. Because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I am greater than what you're going through. I will always be greater than what you're going through. So the question we need to ask ourselves, and we so often reflect on in Southside Church is, where is your focus? Is your focus on something or is your focus on someone? Is your focus on what or is your focus on the who? You see, the something that happened in that scenario didn't define the someone that these men had previously trusted in as the Savior. But this was not how these men experienced things. They perceived it to have been a failed attempt at seeing salvation. And we often do this. We determine God's power and presence in our lives based on the circumstances we find ourselves in. They say, well, you know what, whatever, I, God's not powerful because I, I had hoped for, but. Yeah, well, if God was really there, none of this would happen because we had hoped for, but. We determine God's power and presence in our lives often based on our circumstances. The problem with this thinking is that it's not what you hope for, but who your hope is in that counts. 
It's not what you hope for, it's who your hope is in that counts because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And here are two men focusing on the something went wrong. We had hope for while in the presence of someone that had already overcome the very something they were freaking out over. And so our focus is not on something, it's on someone because it's not what you hope for, but who your hope is in that counts. And we read in Psalm 39, verse seven, the words of the psalmist, which says, but now, Lord, what do I look for? Okay, well, you know what? I'm looking at something that went really wrong. We had hoped that this year wouldn't be like this. So so he goes, but now, Lord, what do I look for? Something or someone. And then he goes on and says, my hope is in you. What you're looking at and focusing on in your human experience shouldn't be something but someone. There's always something of a struggle in our lives, but there is also always someone who has already overcome. It's not what you hope for, but who your hope is in that counts. You see, the tomb representing death wasn't able to truly define how the story would end in this situation. It was who was in the tomb that could testify of deliverance from defeat. You can go to the tomb in your own strength and strive to have breakthrough, but it's not about you. It's not the something you can do. It's the someone that's in the tomb that you're in. And that is true for our lives today that the tomb representing death isn't able to define how our stories end. It's who is with us in the tomb that testifies of deliverance from defeat. In Romans 8 verse 11 in the New Testament says, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So in this world, you will have trouble. And don't turn away from God assuming he wasn't there because the trouble is something you couldn't escape. But focus the something on someone, the one that has overcome in the midst of the presence of your problems. Our trust cannot be in the absence of a tomb, but in who is with us in the trial, because Jesus' resurrection means that blessing can be birthed from brokenness, and that our dark places can become pathways to deliverance, even in death itself. Now, it's interesting when you think about that, that these two men invited Jesus to stay with them the night. They'd been walking. They didn't know that this was actually the Savior they had trusted in because they were focused on something instead of someone. And while they were walking, they said, hey, Jesus, come and stay at our place for the evening. Eat with us, man. You've been on the road with us. You don't want to go by yourself, so come join us. And, and, And what we then read is how at this point, when they were eating together, for the first time, these two men recognized who it was they had been eating with. From Luke 24, verse 30 to 31, and listen to how this played out. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it. Broken and blessing. 
and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. Brokenness and blessing were both in the hands of Jesus. And it was at this time that these men recognized that the Savior had never left or forsaken them during the moments when his body had been broken before them and placed in a dark tomb. Because Jesus' resurrection means that blessing can be birthed out of brokenness and our dark places can become pathways to deliverance. This was the moment when these men's focus shifted from what had happened towards who was with them in their presence. This was the moment where they stopped talking about what had happened and what they had hoped for, and they had a revelation of who was with them. The someone they had been trusting was the Savior that they thought had been defeated. It went from something they'd been talking about to someone in their presence. That is the revelation power that is available to us because the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. Think about this. Once they knew who was with them, imagine the moment. Oh, it's been so hard, you know, geez, you know, God, only God really knows, uh, you know, we hope for more. Oh, God, you are here with us now. Jesus, you are here with us. Think about it. Once they knew who was with them, what had happened in the past didn't seem as bad as they had previously believed. In fact, the something really didn't matter when they became aware of the presence of the someone. It was like, I'm going to be okay. That's why Jesus says in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He's saying, I am greater than whatever you're going through. So don't focus on something. Now focus on someone. And when you focus on the someone, the something loses its power. Even if the something is the hospital bed you're lying on for the last few hours of human life. Because through the resurrection, Death becomes a doorway to deliverance itself. God declares, who I am is greater than what you're going through. So would you turn your focus from the something you've hoped for toward the someone your hope is in? Because of Jesus' resurrection, what we see as brokenness Jesus turns around into blessing. And what we label as a tomb, Jesus turns into a testimony. Romans 4, 16, Paul, the apostle, describes the faith of Abraham, and he speaks about the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. For you personally, where something may look as good as dead, because Jesus is alive, there is someone who can bring it back to life. And where something seems good for nothing, because Jesus is alive, there is someone who can create new things. Regardless of whether or not it sounds like nonsense, the good news Mary and the other woman told the disciples that day was true. He is alive.